2023, Kyle. Happy 2023, Melissa. We made it. We did it. We're here. It's January. And we are pumped because We we are coming up on the event of the year for the club management industry. And that is the World Conference and Club Business Expo. It is just around the corner. I don't want to say it. How many days do you have the countdown? I, I don't. It's something it's in the 40s. Wise. I think it's yeah. in the 40s right now. Yeah, it's not a, it's not important. <laughs> <laughs> we just know that it's very soon. But there, you know, there's so much to look forward to. And so this edition, we are focusing on previewing our conference speakers. And we've yeah. got some great folks. Uh, you know, attendees are going to be treated February 24th through the 28th at the beautiful Gaylord Palms Resort in Orlando, Florida, to six amazing general session speakers. So these are going to showcase those leading and professional, leading inspirational professionals. First up, we have Kyle. The Iron Man of Baseball, Cal Ripken Jr. I mean, frankly, who's not excited about hearing from Cal Ripken Jr.? I mean, I think he's he's an icon, uh, not uh-huh. just in baseball, but in sports, period. Like this, this he's he's wonderful, and we are so thrilled to have him um at our opening business session. But first off, we're gonna start um on Friday, February 24th. Um, with somebody I'm really excited to see. He's a digital leader and the author of Social Nomics, a professor and entrepreneur, Eric Qualman. Um, he is really interesting. And when you talk about digital change, he is is just going to be phenomenal. I'm really looking forward to hearing him. Absolutely. We're also going to be joined by the CEO of ExecuPrep and four times TEDx speaker, Dietra Giles. And if you remember, Dietra yeah. was actually on our podcast last year. Uh, so if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go back and listen to her. She was wonderful. Um, and so we're really thrilled to have her joining us at World Conference this year. Absolutely. And then for the member and chapter awards breakfast, we are going to feature warrior storyteller, retired Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann. He has this really interesting talk about how you get surrounded on purpose. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to give you any more because I don't want to spoil anything, <laughs> but I think he's going to be a great one to hear. And just a reminder, that member and chapter awards breakfast is not included in registration categories. So if you want to hear him, uh, get that. You get breakfast. You get to be there for all the amazing awards um, and to hear him. And uh, we are running out of tickets. So I think we're down <laughs> to the last hundred. So yeah. So add don't, that to don't your waste your time. Get those tickets now. Um, we will also be hearing from the employee whisperer, Heather Younger. And then finally, our closing business session in our week will be capped off with the renowned chef and businesswoman and extraordinary human being, Dominique Crenn. Um, so as Melissa said, we've got six incredible speakers lined up. And these are just our featured speakers. This is to say nothing of the other 65 concurrent sessions that we have planned for the week of conference. Absolutely. And today we are excited to talk with uh, Sarah Noel Wilson, who is going to present two sessions for us at conference. And I'm currently reading her book, Don't Feed the Elephants. Uh, I just there's so much in this interview. We're so excited to share. Oh, my with you goodness. Guys. We could easily have talked to Sarah for hours, probably. Um, and I will be borrowing that book as soon as Melissa is finished with it, because I I came out of this conversation with Sarah 
feeling really full. I, I think we had a really good in-depth conversation. Uh, she's definitely our people and vibed with us really well. So we're excited to, to let you all listen to this little preview of the sessions that she will be prevent, presenting at conference. And uh, we hope that you go to both of those sessions and that we see you in Orlando. So here is Sarah Noel Wilson. Sarah Noel Wilson is on a mission to help leaders build and rebuild teams. Her goal is to empower leaders to understand and honor the beautiful complexity of the humans they serve. Through her work as an executive coach, an in-demand keynote speaker, researcher, contributor to Harvard Business Review, and best-selling author of Don't Feed the Elephants, Sarah helps leaders to close the gap between what they intend to do and the actual impact they make. She hosts the podcast Conversations on Conversations and is certified in co-active coaching, Conversational Intelligence. You will have two opportunities to learn and engage with Sarah at the World Conference. First up, Saturday, February 25th from 1030 to 12. Don't Feed the Elephants, Overcoming the Art of Avoidance to Build Powerful Partnerships. And then later in the same day, from 215 to 345, Regulating the Heat, Navigating Emotionally Charged Conversations. Let's dive in with Sarah. Awesome. Well, we are thrilled yeah, to have uh, Sarah Noel Wilson here with us today to give you guys a preview of her presentations uh, at the World Conference. Um, so we'll dive right into this. Uh, Sarah, when I was researching this episode, the first thing that I saw when I opened your website in very big, bold letters was this phrase, powerful leadership starts with curiosity. And I, I was just blown away by that. So can you mm. take our listeners through what that approach looks like? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the challenge in the world of work is that people are promoted because of what they know and what they can do. And to be a really effective leader, you know, I mean, it's an, <laughs> lots, lots of things factor into being a really effective leader. But uh, knowing and doing are not necessarily the skills needed for a really effective leader, but helping other people learn how to know and do. And, and also recognizing there are always things you don't know. And when we look at the patterns of behavior that really get in the way of people having the impact that they want to, a lot of it comes down to they assume they know more about a person. They assume they know more about a situation. They assume they know more about how they're actually showing up than they really are. And, you know, and in the world of development, for example, we like to say that, you know, we confuse knowing with doing and, and knowing with doing it when it's hard. And there's just so much we can learn when we enter the world through the perspective of, there's always things I won't know about myself. There will always be things I don't know about the situation. And there will always be things I don't know about you. Uh, just allows us to be much more impactful then. I love that. I think Melissa and I had the same reaction when we saw that phrase on your website. Um, and I actually had a conversation with someone earlier today about this idea of leaders who don't behave as if they don't know everything or rather who mm -hmm. think that they do know everything and they're beyond learning. They've kind of like evolved to this place oh, yeah. where they don't need to kind of take on board new ideas or new information. And that can be really frustrating to work with someone who has that mindset. Um, but, you know, I love this approach that like, there are always things you don't know. You, you can't yeah. go into a situation assuming you know everything because uh, you don't. <laughs> And, well, no, continue on. No, I was just going to say, I just, I like, I think that 
even just having that mindset, recognizing that self-awareness of like, I already, I know my limitations, that vulnerability mm-hmm. to say, I know I don't know everything and I'm going to keep my ears open to listening so that I can, you know, take, take on something new and hopefully come, come to a conversation or show up as a whole person in that space, ready to collaborate and learn instead of dictate. <laughs> Right, right. Well, it's funny, there was a couple things coming up for me as you're sharing, you know, a lot of times we'll hear, especially senior leaders, will they'll value development, but for everyone else. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah, I want this for them. And it's like, well, no, I'm telling you, you need it too, because we all, we all need it. <laughs> I mean, we're never done. No. And in, when we, we've really broken it down into five pillars is what we call them of a chronically curious leader. And, and so when you said to show up as a whole person, it made me think of some of that language and and to create the space where you can show up as a whole person, because right. That's that creates limitations too. When I make assumptions, when we make assumptions about people. So our five pillars are honor human complexity, right? We're not simple. We don't fit into four boxes. I know I'm going to, I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but we don't fit into four boxes that are neat and tidy in assessment. We're very complex. Mm -hmm. So just understanding that and learning about it as much as you can and being open to that, um, seek self-awareness. You know, we know that the more power and authority we have, the less self-awareness we tend to have simply because we have fewer people who are going to be honest with us. Yep. Because I have authority over you, right? It mm-hmm. just it just happens. Embrace experimentation. You know, that's one of the things we know is that we are constantly evolving as a world, as work, uh, as individuals. And so how do we embrace an experimenter's mindset? Listen to learn. You know, this is one of our core practices because a lot of times we'll, we'll hear, you know, active listening. But uh, Really listening to learn is again that idea that there's things I don't know. So how do I how do I learn as much as I can? And then the final one is speak and stand with courage. And you know, and that's part of some of that is standing with courage, maybe being quiet, mm-hmm. standing with courage, maybe advocating, um, holding steady in the tough moments, helping other people do that. So those are our five pillars of what we describe as a chronically curious leader. I love that. I think the human complexity piece is actually, again, I had another conversation. I was on a call this morning with our uh, women in club management group. And that was a a topic of conversation in that room was, um, you know, like number one, being able to show up to work as your whole self and that ability to be vulnerable, which I think ties really nicely to what you were saying about like, um, you know, we can't make assumptions about other people and, and how they're showing up, right? Because everybody's got stuff going on. And that really goes to that complexity. Everybody is so nuanced and individually and, you know, unique that we can't assume that our way or our experience of the world is the lens through which everyone else is viewing the world. Um, And so, yeah, I don't know. I just, (laughs) I'm vibing. I mean, that's so good. (laughs) No, I love it. It's, I mean, because what you're hitting on is a lot of the work we do is ultimately about relationship building. And that seems very, um, when sometimes when I say that, people will be like, well, that seems really simple. I'm like, it's not, most of us suck at it. Yes. And, and it's really the bedrock of 
a successful life, right? And successful, however you want to define it. But my, my success is so dependent on the relationships I have. And those relationships are dependent on the conversations we have. And, and we, one of the ways we describe it, that idea of like, what you were saying of pers perspectives, like, well, I just assume everyone, and we're humans, yeah. my world revolves around me, your world revolves around you, right? And, you know, maybe it expands as you, your family expands. And but we think of it as islands, and, and it's one of the most common patterns that creates sandpaper moments, regrettable events in relationships is I have my island, which is my personality, my lived experiences, my values. You know, I always say that's where my panic disorder and ADHD lives. It's where the fact that I played mm -hmm. the accordion lives. It's where my husband lives, right? Like we're on, I have my island. You have your island. And yep. what happens is we get into this tug of war of like but but my island's really good for me so it's going to be really good for you <laughs> instead of realizing well no actually kyle you and i need to create our island together is it kylie or kyle it's kyle is, good job thank is you that, is it okay i just yeah. had a moment i wanted to again honoring <laughs> humans so get the names right so simple it's really it really is thank you for it's, asking you know so i just i wanted to clarify but but it's about how do we create our island together mm -hmm. really intentionally uh, is part of what can set that up for success. Ugh. You can tell I could talk all day about yeah, this. Yeah, totally. I think I could too. And I think Melissa knows this. Like we, when we get into topics like this, I get really jazzed up because it's something that I care about a lot. Um, but I, you know, I think I want to take us to our next question because I think we're starting to get into it now. But um, this, this idea of curiosity and chronically curious leaders, um, you know, like why do you think that this approach is so valuable in today's workplace? I mean, I think we're we're already starting to pull at those threads, so let's just go there. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, you know, again, for some of the things, just to reiterate some of the things we've talked about, if you are working with humans, you're never going to know it all. No. Nope. There's always going to be complexity. There's always going to be differences and disagreements. Whether those disagreements are said out loud or not, that's another conversation. But those differences are happening. The world is constantly changing. You know, it used to be before the pandemic that sometimes we would have to almost convince um, or, or prove how fast the rapid pace of change is. Mm -hmm. And now we all get it. Yeah. Um, but but we're in we're in a space of change that's sort of just constant uncertainty and complexity. And the re reality is, is that navigating really complex change. There's not always a solution and there's not always one solution. And sometimes, again, we have to experiment and try different things. And one of the, the traps we fall into is that we take situations that are actually fairly complex and we try to simplify them and we try to put a very technical fix on it and we say it's good. So, you know, a good example of this is culture. Sure. Oh, we're just, we're gonna, we're gonna come up with our values. We're gonna slap them on the wall and we're done. We're done. Instead of recognizing that, well, no, literally every time somebody joins your organization, your culture has shifted. Mm -hmm. And every time something within your company has changed, your culture, your culture has shifted. Shifts. And, and are we being really, really thoughtful and, and again, curious about that? But the other, the other thing for me really has to do with that willingness to be courageously curious, um, particularly about ourselves. You know, one of the things that we believe because we've seen it firsthand is that leaders, and when I say leaders, I'm talking about the technical role. Because sure. I actually, I don't think, I don't, I think leadership is a verb. Yes. It's an act, yes. something we do. 
right? So it's, and if you have positional authority and power, what you do with it is what I think makes you a leader. But when I say leader, I am talking about people who are in manager roles, that they can make or break organizations and they can make or break people. And one of the biggest traps that we see people fall into is not that, that they don't have good intentions. Lots of people have good intentions, but that they aren't getting curious enough about the actual impact that they're making and being honest with themselves when maybe their intentions aren't great. And, and so the leaders who we see, who I would describe as exceptional, mm -hmm. um, especially from a human perspective, are willing to take accountability, are willing to say, you know what, I was wrong and I apologize for that, are willing to consider how might it be true when they're giving feedback, right? And so, so that's also where that curiosity is so critical is that we know the higher your self-awareness is, the more likely you are able to emotionally regulate, the more likely you can make adjustments, the more likely you can create the impact that you want instead of just saying like, but that wasn't my intentions. I didn't mean that. Right. I think that that's a really great point. Um, that opportunity to hold a mirror up to yourself and really, like you said, like the accountability, hold yourself accountable, um, be courageous in really looking at yourself and, and doing that self-critical work because, you know, criticism is uncomfortable. Nobody likes to do it. It's, it's hard. It sucks. Yeah. It sucks. I'm a good person. Yeah. Right. Like it sucks. It sucks to get external <clears throat> negative feedback. I don't think anyone enjoys that. We all can say like, oh, I, I do great. Yeah. Like, like, sure. Yeah, maybe you do. But also it in the moment, it sucks. <laughs> um, I, I wish, wait, you'll appreciate this. But, you know, I'm like, we all say we're good at feedback, but we're only good, you know, most of the time. I won't say always because that's like too, too, yeah. too you know, broad. But we're, we're typically really good with feedback when we agree with it. It's uh -huh. from somebody with whom we trust and respect, and it's delivered in a way which we can just, you know, like, digest. And, exactly. and it's almost never how feedback is given. Like, I, I'm always, I'm waiting for the moment when you ask somebody, like, well, how do you feel about feedback? They're like, you know what? I discredit it. I <laughs> immediately flip it around on you. And by the end of it, you're crying. And yeah. so that's how I respond to feedback. Like, that's never going to happen. But I know, you know, like I wait for that moment. It's like the dream, honestly. Um, but what Sorry, I, mean, I didn't mean like, to interrupt you, but you got like you triggered, you triggered a like, thought for me. That's okay. That's very true, though. I mean, like, I was, and I was just going to say that, 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 like, we getting that external feedback is hard enough. It's, it's even harder to then look at yourself and go, oh, no, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I, I messed up. That was not my best look or move or yeah. anything, you know, it, and, and sitting with that and letting yourself feel that uncomfortableness and, and, and understand like, okay, what I said in that meeting or what I did in this project wasn't the move. And now I need mm. to figure out how do I own it mm. and then move forward um, and make sure that in moving forward, I'm interacting with and building up those relationships that maybe I harmed with yeah. whatever I did. And that's, that's really hard to do, but I really yeah. like that idea of, you know, curiosity and, and courageous curiosity. That's it's, it's, um, It's hard to choke down the ego mm -hmm. and it's hard to, it's hard when we are 
faced with information that's different than how we believe we show up in the world. I don't, I don't believe that's easy. I mean, this is why cognitive dissonance is so pervasive for all of us as humans, right? That when I believe something so strongly and you present data otherwise, we're more likely to dismiss it or to, you know, dismiss you. And, and yet, you know, especially as we're talking about leaders, the ability to not only recognize it, right? I mean, that that's a hard enough step, mm -hmm. but to your point exactly, it's even harder for some to then apologize and apologize in a very real way, not yep. just a, I'm a faux, faux apology. The, oh, I'm sorry if chatting. I- I'm if sorry, I oh, no, I'm you. sorry you took it that way. Yeah, right, like that's not an apology. <laughs> like, you know, you didn't just apologize to me, you just blamed me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but to apologize and, and to really work to repair. I think that that is, uh, that's a phrase we try to use is that it's not just about building and rebuilding relationships, but it's about knowing how to repair it because the reality is, is that even the best relationships, regrettable events are going to happen. Disagreements are going to happen. There are going to be times when we aren't at our best for whatever reason and not as an excuse, but just an explanation. Yep. And we have to, we have to learn how to say, I messed up Yep. and I'm really sorry. And, and hopefully we can, you know, move forward and repair it and, and be okay that maybe sometimes we can't, which is also that, hard for folks. That part, the maybe sometimes we can't. And I think that's maybe the hardest thing and that can cause the most fear. I think when it yeah. comes to, um, wanting to own it and apologize because I think you can sometimes sit with that. Well, what if I apologize and that, you know, and I, and I want to work on it, but the other person is not receptive to that. What if, and I was like, well, mm -hmm. what if, yeah, you can't, it's definitely not going to happen if you don't try. Right. <laughs> so. right. 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 Yeah. And you know, and it's like, are you looking for forgiveness for you or for, right. for them? Like, are we, they might not be ready. And and that sucks in those moments. And we have to, again, honor human complexity and everyone's journey and what they need yep. and, and be okay with that. But I, Absolutely. you know, I wish, I wish we had more apologies in this world. We don't uh, have enough. I wish we had more apologies and I wish that there, like, there wasn't, I think if we had more apologies, rather, there wouldn't be a weird stigma around apologizing. <laughs> like, yeah, well, and, yeah. and to it. your point, it's like, and this is, this is part, part of the reason why um, or something I've learned in my, you know, last 10 years of really exploring avoidance is we kind of go, if I just don't talk about it, yep. then it's just kind of like it never happened. And it's like, well, the cut is there, whether we put, try to heal it or not. It's there. Yep. It happened. It's in the room. It changed the culture, whether, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And then, and then the avoidance of it then just makes it worse. Well, that's actually a perfect segue into our like next that question. That was really good. I'm almost like <laughs> prepared for this conversation. Um, <laughs> the title of your first book and then consequently like the first session that you're giving at, at conference for mm -hmm. our listeners, Sarah's speaking twice at World Conference. And um, obviously we highly recommend you go to both sessions if you can. Um, but the title of that book is Don't Feed the Elephants. And I, I'm, you know, I'm assuming, uh-huh that we're referring to the elephant in the room when we talk about mm -hmm. elephants. So can you, can you share more about the elephants that we find in the workplace? Absolutely. So, so 
the first is, and the reason the book is titled Don't Feed the Elephants is because so often when we use the term the elephant in the room, we uh, point at someone mm -hmm. and say, oh, they're the elephant in the room. And we almost make them the problem. And they could be causing an issue. Let me be clear. Like they could be causing problems. But the reality is, is that what I've, as I've just been thinking and reflecting and researching, and getting really curious about how do we actually create cultures where the elephant can be first called out, but I'm now I'm a fan of freeing because I don't like a unnecessarily aggressive language in a situation that's already emotionally charged. Yep. Um, but the, the elephant is created by our avoidance about talking about the problem, right? Because, you know, Melissa, for example, if you have an issue with me, if I did something to you or we're not on the same page, and you come and talk to me about it, the issue is still there, but the elephant doesn't exist. And so the elephant gets created because we are choosing not to acknowledge or address either with ourselves, it's not always a conversation, or with someone else. And so that's where the idea of like, how are you feeding the elephant? What are you doing to contribute to it, to shift it from blaming someone else to what role am I playing in creating what is not a productive space. Um, so what types of elephants? Well, we have a menagerie of elephants that we've come up with. <laughs> a a <laughs> veritable zoo. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a whole menagerie. <laughs> and part of it is like, it's intentionally, we found with this work because it can bring up a lot of strong emotions and emotional heat and fear in folks that we find that sometimes using lighthearted language can help it easier for people to go, oh yeah, I, I've created that one too. Yep. So, so just because it's lightheart, know that it's not lightweight, <laughs> right? Because it's really, it's, it helps people. So the, the main genus is the avoidant <laughs> is what we call it, right? So the avoidant is, right, like we're avoiding, again, acknowledging or addressing a barrier to our success, right? Something that's harmful to our success. So then, then we can break it down into like specific species. So uh, the imagifent is when we spend time imagining, like I know this is what she said when she sent this email, and we stay in our head and we stay in rumination and we stay in the story and assumptions about the situation instead of actually clarifying, like, were you being short with me in that email or were you being efficient? Let me, I need to clarify that. The blameifent, where we spend more time blaming, then again, having a conversation or reflecting. The uh, the deflectifent, which can has many, many shades, the deflectifent. The deflectifent can show up, you know, uh, sometimes we'll see this on teams as sarcasm, Ooh, right? Somebody yep. brings up something serious, somebody else uses sarcasm to deflect the seriousness of it. it, it unintentionally dismisses, right? Or intentionally dismisses. Sometimes the deflectifent can show up as, um, you know, God, there's a lot of sh like, a, well, other ways could be we change the subject, mm -hmm. we uh, tack we talk about the wrong thing, mm -hmm. right? We sort of intentionally talk about an easier topic, you know, like, so here's, you know, here's an example, right? Over the last couple of years, lots of organizations have thought about, talked about, and put money and efforts behind diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh -huh. That's really in important. And, you know, and I think that an easy deflection is like, well, we'll just do a, a training on, on bias, 
or like bias, you know, yeah. or, or unconscious bias or unchecked bias. When really the reflection we need to ask ourselves is, well, why didn't we think of like, why didn't we care about this before? Uh-huh. Like that's actually, that's the courageous curiosity is like what changed and what needs to change. Um, the deflective, the deflective fan can also, here's a new one. <laughs> Maybe there's, there's a, sometimes I've seen it where, uh, like deflecting ownership uh-huh. sometimes by like, oh, I'm so terrible. I'm so bad. I'm so whatever, like can become. But uh, then another one is we call it the nudge event, where it's um, indirect communication to try to get the elephant out. And when it doesn't work, because sometimes that's effective, a well-placed, hey, what are we missing here? Or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm wondering about this can be really effective. But ineffective is when we keep trying that and then it doesn't happen. And then a, a couple more that have come up since the book, and we have like a, a running list, but two that I particularly like is one is the pretend event. <laughs> yep. We're just going to pretend like that didn't happen, kind of back to our conversation. And then somebody, somebody a couple of months ago was like, I think I, think I feed an optimist. And I was like, what, what is that? And he goes, I think sometimes I use optimism as a way to avoid having the conversation because I think that I tell myself it'll all work out, but I don't actually do anything to help make it work out. It's that toxic positivity stuff. Yeah. For sure. And I love, I love that. And I, and I, I just loved when he was like, I think I feed an optimist. (laughs) And I was like, tell me more about this new species. Please tell me about this new species. (laughs) But as soon as he said it, whole room was like oh shoot yeah yep. <laughs> well yep. I think we we that one probably people I think people probably vibe with that pretty hard because I think like I said toxic positivity it's everywhere and you know everyone's like it's just your mindset change your mindset fix this fix that you're yeah. choosing to be unhappy you're choosing to be bummed out about it. it's like well no 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 <laughs> there's a not. there's an author there's an author that I'm reading and I I I don't I'm not remembering his last name. His first name's Kwame. And he wrote a book, How to Have Difficult Conversations About Race. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was really provocative for me in this first couple chapters, he said, hope is not a strategy. Nope. Yep. And it's that a great was thing really, to have, but it's right? It's, not like, a plan. it's a great thing to have, but what actions are you taking to make the changes? What actions are you taking? Like, and that, 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 that is now seared, seared into my, my heart. Of just I, like when, when do I hope, and that's that can be helpful to give you the courage, the energy to take action. But that alone is not a strategy. And I just was like, yep. my whole brain was like, oh man, I needed that. I mean, I think I'm definitely guilty of feeding the imagifent for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on a regular basis, like I am a very anxious person, and so sure. like, I read into stuff a ton. And mm. I will, I mean, I think I said, I have, Melissa and I had a conversation about this last week. I was like, tone in emails. Urgh. Are you being short with <laughs> Doesn't me? Doesn't exist. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, are you being short with me? Are you mad about something? Do we need to yeah. talk about it? And usually, yeah. like, I do try to just then go have a conversation with someone and be like, please to clarify, what yeah. did you mean by this? Because mm-hmm. I'm twisted up about it and I would mm-hmm. like to not be. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and those conversations are can be so emotionally charged, which kind of leads us perfectly into your next session. So uh, that folks will be able to have 
the conversation about navigating those emotionally charged conversations. So once you've discovered the elephant and instead of giving them more peanuts, um, you know, why, why do you think so many leaders struggle with conflict and having these emotionally charged conversations? Yeah, because humans struggle with it. You know, I mean, there, there are certain cultures and regions that have less discomfort than others, for sure. I mean, I grow up and I'm in the Midwest. I'm a white woman in the Midwest. And so we're raised to be nice. And passive aggressive. <laughs> yeah, well, so, yeah, no, you're going to love this. You ready for it? I'm like, it's not Midwest nice. It's violent politeness. Absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, my family's I, from Wisconsin. So, like, I okay, yeah, you got it. Yeah, I'm in Iowa. <laughs> and, and I think there's a variety of that. I'm, I'm a, I, I grew up in the South, you know, we are exactly. back heart, you know? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. It's a, uh, well, and you know, I mean, and part of it is there, we, we are, we, I think we forget we're animals. Mm -hmm. Like we are animals who our brain is like our brain is wired for survival. And part of that survival is being in a tribe so to speak to keep us safe right we are biologically like we we need to be that we are safer when we are together with our group and so there's a lot of protection mechanisms mm -hmm. that go into play that we don't realize are happening you know our the part of our brain that puts us into the protection mode the amygdala which we'll be exploring. Maybe I'll bring a couple. I love my amygdala shirts down to floor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, send me your sizes, and if you're going to be there, I'll hook you up. <laughs> um, but but it 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 triggers in 0 0.07 seconds. That's how fast it goes. And and depending on our lived experience, I mean, this is. I I am. I feel like you know. Some days I feel like I'm a reformed avoider of conflict, and other days I'm an in progress reformed. You know. Um, <laughs> Yes, because so much, so much of my DNA, so much of my habits, so much of what I was taught growing up, so much of what I'm around um, is to pretend and to right do everything we can to avoid the the problem is there's a lot of harm that comes from that to ourselves, to other people, to other situations. And being able to to navigate that, and, and again, and so I, and you know, sometimes there will be folks who are really comfortable being direct, and they'll be like, "Well, you just need to be direct." I'm like, "It's not that easy." No. And for some people, especially if my if my lived experience comes from a place of trauma, like if I spoke up, I got hit. That's not a quick. That's not a uh -huh. quick thing for me to just like flip a switch on, and and so so that's hence the complexity, right? It's not as simple as just have the conversation. But it's a huge risk, you know, for for my perspective is that if the relationship is important to me or if the situation is important to me, there's going to be some risk, which means there's going to be discomfort. Yep. And and in the and for us, the practice is realizing that con these conversations may never be easy, but we can make them easier. And because if again, if my husband if I have to, you know, have a conversation with my husband, who's one of the most, if not the most important person in my world, there's a huge risk if he retaliates or just, you know, gets defensive or so there's so many reasons. Now, the thing that we know, and there's actually a great study, I need to go back to it so I can quote it more articulately, but that basically most of the times we will 
imagine it's going to be worse than it really will be. Most, most conversations, if we can approach it the right way, will have a more productive outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, some won't. I mean, that is, I'm not Pollyanna. Like I've, I've had situations where the success was that I had the conversation and felt yeah. good about staying aligned with my values. Yep. Right. And having it and going, I can't control you, but I can control me. And I'm really proud that I had the conversation, even if things didn't change. And I mean, these are the things we'll be talking about, but one of the, one of the things that one of the practices, um, habits, if you will, that's really hard to develop is emotional regulation, but that is key to being able to navigate conflict. Absolutely. And that's hard. It's very and we're hard. not, most of us aren't taught that, you know, many of us go to therapy to learn that. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, know? so many of us don't have it modeled for us growing right. up. And so, like you said, you're not taught it. You don't see it happening around you in a healthy way. So then how are you supposed to learn how to do it in a healthy, productive way? It's really yeah. difficult. And it's, and it's hard. And, you know, my colleague, Amy and I, we were just talking about this this morning that, you know, in our in our work and working with each other and working with clients and working in our own personal lives to try to show up differently and to show up in a more honest, candid, curious, mm-hmm. compassionate way is that I think in a lot of cases, because you haven't seen it modeled, you don't even know what it could look like and you don't then know how good it can be. Right. And it's not to say that it's not uncomfortable. I mean, it like to your point earlier, getting feedback, having somebody say, hey, you that hurt. That's hard mm-hmm. um, and necessary for us to be able to come back together in a relationship. And so so there's a lot of biology at play that we have to be aware of so that we can try to interrupt it and go, you know, like, you know what? I can tell that I'm a little triggered right now by this email. This is a good time for me to get curious. Like, yep. I need to clarify, what do I need to clarify mm-hmm. or confirm right now? And, and so I'll, I'll make one more final thought to this and we'll be talking about this all in the sessions, but the goal is not to remove, you can't remove that initial emotional reaction. It happens so fast. The goal is how do we recover more quickly so we can access the higher functioning parts of our brain to show up in that moment. Definitely. And that just takes practice. Totally. Well, I think, and, and I'll make this my, my final comment, cause I could probably talk about this for a really long time. Um, but I think in, in what you just said, that initial emotional response in itself is neither good nor bad. It's natural, right? right? Like there's right. nothing inherently right. wrong with having an emotional response mm. to a situation at all. It's, as you said, it's biological. Our brains are telling us to feel something and it's what you do with that information afterwards. That's the important part. And so the, the your point of, okay, well, how do I move that to more of an executive level functioning of, okay, Uh this is Uh a piece, it's data. My fear or my anxiety or my anger is, is data. It's my brain Uh telling me that, okay, I reacted to something or what's going on here. And just taking that moment to kind of step back and answer that question of what's going on here (laughs) instead of taking your, your anxiety and writing it off into the sunset, because, you know, sometimes we do that too. Yeah. Or your anger. Right. I mean, this is why the first sort of step we always work on with people is get curious about yourself Mm -hmm. or get curious with yourself because we can either get into a, you know, a cycle of just, you know, rumination 
and the anxiety and then the stories just become bigger and bigger and bigger mm -hmm. or we can be so frustrated that the villain becomes larger and larger and larger and the thing that i observed being in positions where i help people through navigating right conflict and uh employee engage you know like employee relation issues mm -hmm. is that a lot of times people would be mad but they couldn't articulate what exactly they were mad about they just knew the other person pissed them off yep but they couldn't get to and so so i love that that language you're using of it's data and now we have to understand what's behind the data because that can set us up to have a better conversation than just i'm mad at you but Definitely. it's oh okay i didn't feel like i was being heard hey we need to talk about that meeting i don't know how you felt but i didn't feel heard in that and can we have a conversation yeah, it's our lizard brains just just telling us stuff. <laughs> we oh, don't really know how to figure it out it's yet. It's so good. It's so good <laughs> at telling us stuff. It's so good. <laughs> so good. Okay, well, you know, if this 40 minutes that we've been chatting isn't enough of a teaser for people, I don't know what's wrong with them. But Sarah, I'm already like so jazzed about this. I hope that I have time in my schedule while we're at conference to pop in and listen to you speak. But um, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today and your thoughts. Um, uh, thank you for joining us in Orlando. We're really looking forward to that. And, uh, our listeners, we will have all of the information about upcoming sessions at the world conference available to you in our conference app, as well as, um, online. You can always call and ask one of us if you need any more information, but we definitely recommend, um, marking off both of Sarah's sessions because there is a lot of good stuff here to unpack. Um, and we are looking forward to seeing everyone in Orlando real soon. But Sarah, thank you again. This was such a pleasure. Yeah. And uh, we look forward to meeting you in person. Yeah, thank you. Don't forget those shirt sizes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I'm on we'll that shirt. <laughs> so great conversation. So glad we could share that with all of you. And now just a couple of reminders before we head out of this first edition of 2023. The Deadline for entering the Idea Fair is coming up January 23rd. If you're not familiar with this, it is a great way to share the great ideas that you and your team have come up with um, and share those with your peers. There are 20 different operational categories. So you can talk about your staff management incentive and incentives. You can talk about club events. You can talk about sports and activities that you're doing. Um, it's a great thing. And Hey, guys, you do not have to be attending conference to enter this. No, you don't. You do Any. not need to be present to win. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the great news is that once we get all the entries in, this information goes out to all of our members via our website. So if you get stuck when you're thinking about club programming or staff incentives, it's a great place to browse to find and borrow those best ideas. It's even easier, just like last year, um, this is a digital only, so all you have to do is upload your materials. We will take care of the printing and the shipping and the posting on site for you. And Absolutely. then don't forget to schedule time when you're in Orlando to see these. If not, grab them after. Uh, Absolutely. After and online. if you, you know, if you participate in the Idea Fair, you also have the chance to eventually be featured in Club Management Magazine. Um, for those of you who don't know, there is a regular column in the magazine authored by moi. 
<laughs> where I go through our idea fair entries and I choose either a winner from one of the categories or an idea that I found particularly interesting myself. So really what you should be thinking about when you're entering these ideas is what will impress Kyle the most so that I can get into the magazine. Um, that is a joke, although I do appreciate anyone pandering. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I always feature a different idea in each edition of the magazine. So if you're doing something really cool at your club and you want people to know about it, this is your time to shine. <sighs> Man, okay, so we've spent this whole episode talking about World Conference, which is obviously top of mind for most everyone right now, but just because we're really focused on World Conference does not mean that our planning for other events has taken a back seat. Oh no, no, friends. We have the Communication Summit coming up in March, right after World Conference, so there's no rest for the wicked as per usual. Um, we are excited to announce that registration is now open for the 2023 Communication Summit. This year we will be heading to Houston, Texas, March 20th through the 22nd. And we are excited to visit two impressive clubs in the Houston area. This summit is obviously designed for communications and marketing professionals in clubs or any professional looking to learn more about this vital and constantly changing aspect of club operations. Um, at the Communication Summit, attendees will learn effective strategies and tactics to communicate better with employees and their greater community. And as I mentioned before, you'll be visiting some iconic Houston area clubs. Um, we're working on education planning right now and are, we're excited to have sessions that will feature hands-on opportunities to learn and share from your fellow communicators and practitioners and industry experts. So don't waste time. Um, we have registration available on the website. Just head over to the Learn tab and hit up Meetings and Events. You will see the Communication Summit right there at the top of the page. And uh, take a gander, get registered, and we're here to answer any questions you might have. Melissa and I will both be on site in Houston, um, and we're excited to welcome any and all attendees. So get registered for that, and we'll see you in March. Well, that wraps it up for this edition. Thank you Wait, so much. Wait, Melissa, to did you want to talk about elections? Oops. Uh, oops. Very I important. <laughs> so it, it is definitely your time to voice your vote and be part of the CMAA governance process. So online voting is open and available. Um, uh, through February. So please uh, visit cmaa.org backslash vote to get started uh, to read the materials uh, about our four amazing candidates, as well as our bylaws proposition. And go ahead and uh, request your voting authorization now. Full details are available for all the classifications that have voting privileges are available on cmaa.org slash backslash vote. So make Correct. your voice heard today. Yes, and as Melissa said, voting is open online through February 22nd, um, and then there will be voting available on site at World Conference as well. But sometimes it's easier just to get it done and taken care of. Uh, so online is the way to go. And there's videos and statements and all sorts of good stuff to check out over on cma.org vote. So do that as soon as you can. All right, that wraps us up for real this time. Um, as we talked about, we've got a, a busy month ahead of us. We're, we're well into the swing of things. Um, we are grinding 
to get things ready for World Conference and beyond. Um, so this this will wrap us up for the first episode of 2023, but we are thrilled to be sharing this with you and listen up in the coming weeks or so because we're going to do some more conference preview content, uh, which is always our most popular. So stay tuned. And until next time, I'm Kyle. That's Melissa. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Club Management. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Take care, friends. Bye-bye. Man, we sound like we... The Let's Talk Club Management podcast is a podcast of the Club Management Association of America. Since 1927, CMAA has been the largest professional association for managers of membership clubs throughout the U.S. and internationally. The objectives of the association are to promote relationships between club management professionals and other similar professions, to encourage the education and advancement of members, and to provide the resources needed for efficient and successful club operations. Under the covenants of professionalism, education, leadership, and community, CMAA continues to extend its reach as the leader in the club management practice. CMAA is headquartered in Alexandria, Virginia, with more than 40 professional chapters and more than 40 student chapters and colonies. Please learn more at www.cmaa.org. Org.